WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And welcome to our son, Kyle. Uh, we haven't done one of these episodes in a while, but if you need a refresher, uh, our son is where we invite a friend on to talk about their favorite character. Uh, it does not actually need to be a, a boy or man. Uh, we've done episodes for Pete Wisdom, Cloud Strife, Mr. Freeze, Kate Pride, and Supergirl. But this week, we're patrolling the spaceways with the goodest Green Lantern, uh, Kyle Rayner. And uh, joining us to talk about his son, Kyle, is arguably one of Comics XF's most prolific writers. Uh, you may have read his coverage of <gasps> Superman, The Silver Coin, The Many Deaths of Layla Star, X-Corp, Nightwing, The Flash, and appropriate to tonight, uh, Green Lantern. Uh, you get the point. He's showing us all up. It's Armand Babu. Uh, Armand, welcome. Hello. Uh, happy to be here. So uh, tell us, we'll start with the big question. Why is Kyle Rayner your fictional son? Why is he the character that you want to talk about today? Ah, well, this is, uh, well, well, when I heard I was going to be on the podcast, I actually went out last night, had a nice dinner and just sort of sat down and was gathering my thoughts about why he is my favorite character. And um, this is going to be a longish answer. Uh, Go for it. So there are three main reasons I, I really enjoy Kyle. Kyle, he's good. He, he had in his you know original appearances three important characteristics that defined his stories. Uh, the first one was that he was a rookie with a big history behind him. He, I hadn't read, uh, I, I had no idea when I first read about Kyle Rayner what had happened with Hal Jordan, the whole parallax storyline, his fall, but the weight of that was always in almost every Kyle Rayner appearance. There was that, that history, there was some, some tragedy that had forever shaken the DC universe. And every time Kyle Rayner appeared, you, you could feel the weight of that. And um, I, I did not know how much of a disappointment Hal Jordan would actually be when I turned out, when I ended up reading him. But the way he was talked about was like he was this, this kind of rock star of superheroes. Uh, 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 and that every time Kyle showed up, he was reminding people of how brightly Hal Jordan had burned and how much he had fallen and how much he had given in his final moment in the final night. It was, uh, it, 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 it made the DC universe feel complex and, and like it was almost well planned out. Like, like, like there was a story to the universe and not just like these individual arcs that we keep getting. Um, let's see, the second one was his potential. As much of uh, that, that, that legacy had weighing on him, there was a, a running theme that the, the, the wisest people in the DC universe or, the, or even the, the, some of the bigger cosmic ones kept telling Kyle that um, he would one day surpass Hal Jordan, that uh, he would one day be the brightest burning lantern of them all and that he was not destined to fall necessarily the same way. And for someone who has... Uh, Kyle's powers, uh, that is a huge thing. He begins with nearly infinite power. And at all he needs to do is believe in himself. All he needs to do is grow into that power. And seeing him grow through, uh, through all his appearances, through crossovers, through his time in the Justice League, through his own series, was, uh, it was a fascinating journey. And uh, the third one, which... 
he, which is the most exciting about him, even with even if you take out the continuity baggage, this is what remains. Kyle Rayner is the most imaginative Green Lantern. When that is what I fell in love with the Green Lantern concept to begin with. I mean, my first Green Lantern was John Stewart from the animated series. Um, and I love the concept, but I felt they almost never did uh, enough with it. Uh, you, ha you have a ring that can create literally anything you can imagine. And it's mostly just um, giant uh, boxing gloves or square or round items to, you know, trap back guys in or just shooting energy beams. Kyle Rayner, I don't think he ever had two constructs that were alike. He'd use giant anime creatures, he'd use uh, cartoon characters, and when the chips were down and he wanted to inspire himself, he would frequently use his fellow superheroes. It was just unleashed imagination, and that was the most exciting thing about Kaunino for me. So, a uh, bit of... Bit of quick you know uh house clearing for the for the listeners uh kyle rayner was created by ron mars and daryl banks and first appeared in 1994's green lantern volume 3 number 48 uh taking the ring in issue number 50 now where was where did you first encounter kyle uh i being an old uh first encountered him in what would probably then make it his sixth or seventh appearance in Green Lantern 55, a zero hour crossover, because, you know, I'm a complete horror for crossovers and buy all of them. <laughs> so I read uh, Kyle first, JLA issue one, which I need to note is uh, different for me than it is for you guys, because this was during a very different, a uh, very small period um, when American comics were being published in India. They were... They were, sm they were slightly smaller. They were printed on cheaper paper. And uh, they were just sort of catching us up to what was happening in the States. And I don't know what criteria they had to choose because JLA started with uh, the Tower of Babel in uh, a short comic um, that was, uh, they had these uh, things uh, of trades that were almost, uh, that were about six issues crammed in uh, for about 90 rupees, which at that time would have been about almost $2. And then you had the monthly comics, which would uh, be, uh, they would all come out uh, uh, once a month. And they'd be either the single issues, which were about 15 rupees, um, which way less than a, about a couple quarters. And the double size 25 issues and the JLA was always 25 issues. So two issues would be in one comic and uh, JLA issue one came just after Towel of Babel. So again, there was I was diving uh, deep into this heavy continuity where Batman had just been voted out of the Justice League. And I didn't have any idea why either. So I'm just going into this, there's complex continuity all over the place and they're fighting the Queen of Fables. And there is this one guy who's fighting uh, a lady made of stories armed with nothing but a ring that can, again, create what, whatever he imagines. And it was, it was a great introduction. I, I love that one of Justice League. The Mark Wade one, I believe, yep. and uh, Brian Hitch drawing. Well, though some artists came in and out. It was yeah, because it was Howard Porter who did Tower of Babel, and then it was Hitch for Queen of Fables and Terror Incognito, which was next, which was the Justice League gets separated from their secret identities story. Yes, which is and I. Yeah, it was great, and that was one of the 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 Terror Incognito story. Uh, that's something that. Uh, 
when they get split off from their identities. That's something where Kyle Rayner as a character really landed to me because some of the Justice League characters are going insane because for Kyle Rayner in particular, when he's a comic book artist, uh, that's his day job, which uh, I'm sad that no one's done anything really clever with because that's some really fun stuff you could do there. Um, but when he was given the ring, he got to let loose his imagination. Anything he can imagine, he doesn't have to spend an hour or two drawing it anymore. He just, it just happened. So when he loses his ring, when his, 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 his civilian identity just can't cope, he's drawing literally on the walls because he needs to unleash his creativity somehow and none of it's fast enough. It was, it, it was very compelling. And the, the faceless Batman. I always remember that. Oh, that was that, terrifying. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, Bruce Wayne doesn't know what to do with himself. And mm. Batman is this juggernaut. And then when they pull off the cowl, he has no face because he's literally just this embodiment of Bruce's drive. There's no, there's nothing there beyond that. It is a creepy, creepy moment. And Brian Hitch sells the hell out of it. Yeah. And uh, we also have a uh, plastic man who is just this. He's another one of my favorite characters from that one. Um, and he's just this goofy idiot who just keeps... He, he's sort of like Kyle taking to the next level. He's also very imaginative when it comes to different forms he takes. Um, but his alter ego is a criminal. And without Plastic Man to bring him that joy and imagination, he just devolves back into this toughened, hard-ass criminal um, who's literally beating up on Bruce Wayne to get him to, to convince him to you know, rejoin with his alter ego again. Man, I should reread that run. It's a good run. Yeah, I mean, I've read the Morrison run a, a couple times, but I think I've only read the, the Wade run once, and I really should, including that uh, Heaven's Ladder, which was done in the, uh, the Treasury size when DC went back to experimenting with that for a while, and those... Oh, God, that was the early aughts. It just does not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I came into it late. I just, as I, I just don't have to keep track of when comics came out anymore. Well, okay, now I do now because now I'm writing for the site and I have to keep things in context. <laughs> oh, there's that. There's yeah. that. There's that. But yeah, I feel early Kyle Rayner really worked well on uh, team books. Uh, you got to really see him. You got to see people interact with him. You got to give him moments to shine because he was. For a long time, he was just a rookie. He was always being compared. He he didn't. Uh, I loved seeing his relationship with Wally West develop because they also. He was old. Wally West was also a legacy character, but he'd been around for a lot longer than Kyle. And uh, initially, they did. He he did not trust Kyle at all. He's like, who is this guy who's you know replacing Hal? It's not going to work. And then they came up, and they were a better brave and the bold. And I have frankly ever seen Barry and how's you, you've hit touched on various points that we have <laughs> that we will elaborate on from our, our outline but you just hit one of my favorites which is that romance that bromance and then the other bromance between Kyle and Connor Hawk who I I just that sort of latter trinity that I the the the, the 90s legacy trinity all of whom I absolutely adore as characters and am so glad to see well two of the three back and Kyle's out there <laughs> but I, I love Kyle's out there I loved how 
Kyle was the, you know, the sort of free spirit, the artist, and Connor was very formal and very trained and very regimented, which in many ways was the opposite of the, you know, left-wing pinko free love Oliver Queen and the space cop Hal Jordan, who's really only that space cop when held in comparison to Ollie, because otherwise he's, you know, sleazy Lothario guy who gets booted out of organizations for, you know, insubordination on more than one occasion. No, Hal Jordan is definitely that cop who flashes his badge to get free drinks at bars. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. That I loved the, the point you made about how when Hal finally comes back, it's kind of like, oh, this is this guy that they've been <laughs> talking about? Because I mean I I started re- I started reading comics just not a year or two before Emerald Twilight and had never been a Green Lantern reader before that. So Hal was, I knew Hal from the Super Friends cartoon. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. And it's just like, oh, but, and then he, then he came back and it's like, but, 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 but there are better Green Lanterns than this guy. <laughs> There's so many better Green Lanterns. You know? a, a lot and they keep coming up with new ones and every single one of them is more interesting than Hal Jordan every time it's, <laughs> it's very consistent yeah new yeah. lanterns have a low bar yeah I mean it's it, there are a few interesting Hal Jordan stories but very few of them are in are really in continuity stories New Frontier is an interesting Hal Jordan story but that's not an in continuity story I'm sure there are others, but but that's because that story has Hal set in the specific time period where he is resonant. The, the test pilot at the beginning of the space race is a resonant thing. And he's the, the test pilot is a much less interesting archetype in the now, while Kyle, the artist, resonates regardless of his time and place. Mm. It is hard to be a test pilot in the age where we're like test rocket launching, uh, you know, commercial space travel. Although I guess, you know, if you reboot the character, that's basically what you do, you know, mm-hmm. but then you, then you end up making Carol Ferris into like an Elon Musk or, or, or Richard Branson type. Nobody wants that. Oh, or, or he's piloting drones, which are much less visually interesting than an actual <laughs> test pilot. Yeah. Or you could just keep him as a test pilot uh, in a world that's outpacing him, which would be an interesting way to go. Because yes. he is he is someone who constantly wants to be pushing that envelope. And if he's if he's not, then that 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 lantern ring is gonna come as a real blessing. Um you know, I, I was also thinking you you mentioned the line about uh, Hal flashing his badge to get free drinks. You know, Guy Gardner owns a bar. He shouldn't even have to do that. <laughs> the, the free drinks are going to be there regardless. That does remind me. I love that uh, those we have a lot of Green Lantern or base Green Lanterns right now. Um, but I do always I have a soft spot for whenever a, a Green Lantern story brings those four together. Guile, uh, Kyle, no, Guy, Kyle, um, John Stewart and Hal Jordan. Those, yes. yeah, those are our uh, 
we were getting a lot more interesting but but those four were always a special place in my heart i had a story in the uh recent uh was it uh i think it was an 80 year celebration yeah i think i was just about to bring up the same story where they all meet for drinks (laughs) and they complain about guy being late and they they end up toasting over his yes no that was really good guy absolutely would be the first to go yeah (laughs) no doubt no doubt it's a great story it is it's when you talking about kyle and his imagination with his constructs and i again we're tangenting off onto another green lantern here but um since he's one of the featured green lanterns in the the current title it's i figure he's he's worth discussing uh i miss when john stewart was remembered more for being an architect than being a former marine which Mm -hmm. has become so much of his characterization since justice league because there his constructs while they weren't as imaginative as kyle's had that architect sort of well-designed thoughtfulness and it would have made a really interesting counterpoint to Kyle's sort of wild imagination. I was uh, reading, rereading some, uh, just some quick, just sort of skimming through some of the older comics. And there's this one uh, moment where Kyle, in fact, actually invites John to sort of help him uh, do some background comic book art stuff. Uh, he's, he's like, John, you, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're uh, great at designing things. I need someone to just draw these buildings while I uh, do in the, the, you know, the other stuff. Give, give me some good backgrounds here. And uh, it, it's this really nice, quiet moment of just the two of them sitting in Kyle's studio doing art together. And uh, yeah, I feel like they would, like, if you could just have those two team up, Kyle's creativity with John's architectural groundedness, just, just making like, combined constructs you could have some really really amazing stuff together yeah i like that that's a that's a nice pairing too and it gets into the idea of like synergies as well yeah why aren't we having more lantern synergies especially with the rainbow core now now i think there's there should be more lantern synergy now i think about it oh now i'm sad (laughs) especially since it at least one, I mean, the, the Blue Lanterns exclusively are about boosting Green Lanterns and the Indigos, they sink. I, I'm, it's, I'm having the damnedest time remembering. So, uh, yeah, so the Blue Lanterns are hope, meaning uh, you can't, the idea is that uh, you can't, you can have as much hope as you want, but you can't get anything done without the willpower to actually, you know, do things. So the hope, ha- you know, uh, hope recharges the Green Lantern's powers and uh, supercharges them even. And, uh, but they can't get anything done uh, unless, you know, the, uh, they, they do have a Green Lantern around. They can just fly and be protected from space, but that's all their rings can do unless they have uh, some willpower there. But the Indigo Lanterns are compassion. So, uh, what they do is sort of uh, recreate um, other emotions because the idea is that the ring sort of understand other emotive paths so they can uh, uh, bring it up without getting lost within the emotion itself is how I believe the definitions went. Uh, I was obsessed with that, with the whole rainbow core when they first came out. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I lost track of some of the Green Lantern stuff during the, the new 52. So I, I, we, there are fewer of those of some of the other cores floating around now, but there is absolutely still the potential for so much synergy amongst those that remain. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of this is just an excuse for a good Larfleet story. So, <laughs> <laughs> which and, I have been waiting for for a very long time. <laughs> and Dexter, don't forget Dexter. And Dexter. Yes. I feel it's got another got a number of uh, fun little one shots in, in in various Lantern stories. Yes. Best to mention his role in uh, Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> yes. And a really good episode of the Superhero Girls cartoon. Oh. Yeah, you no, know, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not particularly I find it odd some of the, the twists they took on some of the characters for the new incarnation of that, with making Jessica Cruz more the you know environmental, you know, she she's all about, you know, making society better and protesting, but there's one where she winds up you know, helping out at the animal shelter and trying to get all the animals adopted. And the only one who's left is this mean, mean cat <laughs> named Dexter. And she's trying to, and then finally the Red Lantern ring shows up and she has to actually, you know, fight Dexter with the ring. And, oh, I can't remember who voices Dexter, but it is a, it was an inspired choice. I'm going to have to look this up now. And I will at some point in the future interrupt us with like, oh yeah, Dexter is voiced by so-and-so. <laughs> it, it was a great choice. And and Bess is on my lap. So I am my, I have cats on the brain and on my lap. <laughs> well while Matt researches, I'll throw in a different question that, that Matt can interrupt the answer to when he makes his discovery. <laughs> so you know we've talked about Kyle and we've talked about how creative his his constructs are and how that comes from him being a cartoonist. So uh, the question I'm putting to you, Armand, uh, Kyle gets a 12-issue DC maxi-series in-world. I don't know if DC is like Marvel, where they have Marvel comics in the Marvel Universe, but this is what I'm positing. Uh, Kyle gets a 12-issue DC maxi-series in 2021. What is he drawing? Or who? Hmm. So I think he's going to do a Justice League story, because... As far as I've known him, he's always been very inspired by that team. I, I think he is a huge Superman fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is also a huge Batman fan, but has always been too intimidated to say it out loud. And definitely a Wonder Woman fan. Uh, I think he he brings a classic Justice League and he takes them to um, something cosmic and strange, somewhere where he can really flex as an artist. He's, he's going to have um, a villains which really... Uh, powers that, that that show up great on page. Um, uh, he is going to have, I, I think he's going to go through an odyssey of uh, different uh, different worlds. I'm not sure what the, what the pitch would be exactly, but it's just basically um, the Justice League in space seeing strange new alien creatures and cultures and uh, villains with uh, powers that just sort of warp the page at every opportunity. I like it. Yeah. And Dexar was voiced by voice acting legend Kevin Michael Richardson. Ah, there we go. Okay, <laughs> I, knew, go. I knew it was. I knew it was a legend. I knew it was somebody's like, oh yeah, I know that voice. I also like the idea of Kevin Michael Richardson's uh, deep bass voice coming out of that cat. <laughs> oh man, I gotta watch it. Yeah, I thought I'm pretty sure Kevin Michael Richardson has voice. I mean, he's voiced characters all over the various. DC animated properties over the years. 
and again, I mean, you, you've been around like he has, and it's, you know, once you found your way into that Andrea Romano stable, even though she's retired now, you, you know, you just keep, yeah. you, you just keep working. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did Brave and the Bold. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he did. And I know he was uh, Martian Manhunter on Young Justice. That's good. Uh-huh. That's good casting. Yeah. 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 Yes, he was. Oh, yeah, he was all over Brave and the Bull. Since I still had, you know, I'd be up. Yeah, he yeah. was. Uh, he was Black Manta. That was ah, his principle. That, that was but it. he okay. did. But he did all sorts of, you know, like a little bit here, like a one-off here, one-off there. He was Luthor, but you know, Luthor only appeared a couple times in those that final season when they finally let Superman and Wonder Woman show up on Brave and the Bold. Yeah. Uh, so we, we've talked a little bit about the, the friendship that develops among uh, Wally and Kyle and, and Connor uh, and, and how they were sort of the legacy trinity of the 90s. Uh, you know, now, I don't personally have an attachment to them, but growing up with Matt, you know, obviously he absolutely did. Uh, Matt is nodding his confirmation for the listeners. Uh, you know, and there's there's plenty of other people of of that generation who speak of Wally and Kyle and Connor in those sort of reverent tones, and have been very disappointed in DC the past five years when it comes to Wally West. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and maybe that's all sort of a product of not having the internet uh, in the mid '90s as it exists now to sort of poop on every party. But you know, I was thinking about this. It's it's really a shame that. When, when Marvel tried the same thing uh, in, in, you know, the 2010s with Jane Foster, Sam Wilson, and, and Riri Williams, for example, it, it really went over like The Last Jedi, you know, where the polarization mm-hmm. just drowned out everything else. Um, not even a follow-up question, just an observation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, legacy is always, always a tricky thing. And... I was thinking. I was thinking earlier. Uh, Hal Jordan, for me, the closest counterpart in the Marvel universe would be Captain Marvel, and they're both. Yeah, they're both pilots. They both have that that bravado. They both. Uh, they both have a fair number of stories set in space. And I'm trying to imagine what it would be like for Miss Marvel if she came onto the scene immediately after Captain Marvel had died. If she had somehow gotten her powers. Um, in some big crossover event that had killed that had killed Captain Marvel and had that legacy hanging over her, and I thought I think that would have been um, actually it would have probably wouldn't have it would be it would have been a shame because the the origin that she had actually works out pretty great as is, but I I think it would have been uh, interesting to see her having to carry the weight of that legacy uh, as as is because the way her story was she didn't really have to carry too much. She just stepped into the role and she made it her own. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's uh, something that not a lot of legacy characters get to do anymore. They don't get to really make it their own. Kyle definitely made it his own um, until Hal came back. Um, and uh, But uh, Sam Wilson and Jane Foster, they were, they were always had the bigger tours and the cast of Captain America hanging over their heads. Mm. That is true. It's it's interesting when you think about it. I mean, DC has always had much a much larger history of legacy because mm-hmm. of the golden age, silver age transition that they introduced a whole set of new characters using 
existing names. And even though it wasn't legacy in the sense that we think of it now in the Wally West becomes the Flash after being Barry's sidekick, that is baked into the DNA of DC Comics. And I have this feeling as we're beginning to see now as people who are in their 30s now are starting to write, becoming more driving forces in the writing of DC Comics, Wally and Kyle and Connor are all going to show up more. That Tim Drake will be getting a a renaissance because those were the characters who were there Hal and Barry and Oliver when for the 40 plus year old writers the mid 40s on up who brought those characters back after they had uh, been shuffled off and replaced by these legacy characters Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, even, you know, looking in the X-Men books, you know, once like Rosenberg and and like Thompson, Brisson and, and, you know, Williams, Vita, all of a sudden you're seeing a lot more like MLF and, and I mean, well, I mean, if you look at Rosenberg's run, that was basically just like a a tour of a a quick tour of the nineties, very brutal and dark in places (laughs) Tour of the nineties. But the point is it had the upstarts that it had the nasty boys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and the Generation X and X-Force characters popping up. I mean, mm-hmm. now that, you know, uh, Jimmy Proudstar is, you know, good, good trainer of young mutants. <laughs> Matt, uh, I, I've read, I've read, uh, well, it will be, have become last week's new mutants by the time this airs. But if you like good Jimmy P content, you're going to get it. Oh, nice! I yeah. am excited. But uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll pull back on that throttle. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a moment and we'll we'll yield the floor to uh, podcast super fan Asimov fangirl uh, mm-hmm. who did ask a couple questions. Uh, number one, uh, what do you think has saved Kyle from being uh, sort of a broken character like Wally, like we just mentioned? Uh, or being mostly forgotten like Connor Hawk until very recently. So I I'm not sure that he you know that, that he hasn't been mostly forgotten um, in the at, at least right now. Ever since uh, Hal Jordan came back, mm-hmm. he has lost two of the defining characteristics that that made him so exciting to begin with he 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 lost that he was he's not he's not been the rookie for a long time mm-hmm. um and he he doesn't really have that, that that tragedy that legacy hanging over him um since you know hell's back and he and all this more or less forgiven that mm-hmm. that that part of kyle's continuity is pretty much stripped away and most writers don't really go near that anymore and he um he doesn't really have as much potential he has achieved so much he's been ion he's been the guy who brought the green lantern corps back he's been um the the first white lantern in uh they they keep trying to up kyle's power levels while not really knowing um and it's it's gone so far to point that there has that uh there hasn't really been much to do with kyle for a while 
the thing is, he since the he's been part of the Green Lantern Corps, and that series is used to juggling many characters in in all his mm-hmm. incarnations. Um, it's easy to keep Kyle around. You don't have to uh, like for Wally West. Um, he was he was the Flash. You 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 have a huge old huge uh, Flash family, of course, but it wasn't as uh, they weren't as equal as it was with the Green Lantern. Uh, so when you had Wally, so when you bring Barry Allen back, you have to sort of push Wally West under the spotlight a little bit, which is why I'm really happy with the current Flash comic, which puts Wally West right back in the spotlight where he belongs. Um, Connor Hawk, I don't know why it took way too long for him to come back. Although I think what you said, Matt, is is a good reason why we're probably going to be seeing more of these kinds of legacy characters. It's it's, it's writers who were introduced to this bunch who are now getting to uh, bring them back uh, in the comics they write. Um, yeah, so to basically answer the question, I think Kyle is being part of a team of that were, uh, of that were mostly all equal legacy characters is uh, what kept him around in a way that Wally West and Connor Hawk couldn't necessarily be. But by the same token, it allows him to sort of disappear into the background at times, it sounds like. Which is where he is at the moment, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think it has to do with the fact that with the exception, an even possible exception of the Bat titles, the Green Lantern books got the softest reboot with Mm. the New 52. The Flash books and Green Arrow both reset real hard Mm -hmm. to, you know, Barry and Oliver both being inexperienced young heroes while the Green Lantern books maintained all of that years and years of complex continuity, despite it now ha- apparently having taken place over the course of five years, which meant there was a galactic catastrophe every Tuesday. Uh, yeah, it was a very intense five years for the if you were Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah, a bit. So it, it allowed Kyle to still have a logical place while... Barry couldn't have had that sidekick and Oliver being as young as he was couldn't have a 20 year old son it wouldn't have worked (laughs) so logistically those characters didn't function not that that stopped Batman from having having Damien Wayne Mm -hmm. four Robins in five years meaning the the turnover rate on that was not good he was cycling through Robin's like uh, Menudo's uh, manager. <laughs> exactly. I have recently had this discussion on a project to be announced or fully discussed once again shortly. Ooh, spooky. Foreshadowing. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, our, our second Asma fangirl question. Uh, what anime uh, do you think Kyle watches now uh, and, and uses to inspire like uh, constructs? So I am sad I cannot answer this question well because I don't actually watch a lot of anime. Um, I just assume it'll be something with incredible visuals. Um, and uh, that's the only two animes I know. I, I feel that he would enjoy um, Hellgirl because they had very... Uh, imaginative ways of punishing evil souls uh and i hope he would like dora hedero because that's one of the few animes that i know i enjoy um and uh but hmm, i don't think visually there's a lot of stuff you can do with the with the constructs there 
uh, I would uh, defer to you two. I assume you've seen more You've come to the wrong place. No. no. Okay. No. As my, my a more anime... fan I am so sorry. We, we have let you down. Yeah. My, my anime preferences lean towards very little and all of which is somewhat mystery based. I'm not sure if Detective Conan or Moriarty the Patriot are exactly <laughs> going to lead towards lots of crazy constructs. They're, they're, unless, you know, Kyle makes a watch that shoots a soccer ball out of it that he can then kick at his enemies, which is not terribly visually interesting more than once. Or Professor Moriarty. Yeah, I, I don't think either of those are going to work. <laughs> I mean, I can see him using that once or twice here and there, especially that 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 watch you mentioned, which sounds fascinating. But <laughs> oh, yeah. The, he has better options. Yeah, no, Conan's Conan's friend, you know, the, his neighbor is this sort of mad scientist guy who made him a Flash-esque ring, except it's a watch instead of a ring that, you know, a, a soccer ball pops out of and he can has super sneakers that he can turn up to, <laughs> to kick it at his enemies when he really needs to. It, it's, it, hey, when, when you're a, you know, 17-year-old has been de-aged down to eight, you have to, you know, use what you can to stop the murderers who you invariably stumble across every week, a la Jessica Fletcher in Murder, She Wrote. That, that sounds very, very useful. Indeed. Although if you have a ring that can create anything, that, that that's, it seems like you would uh, come up with slightly more powerful things than that. Yeah, yeah. His, his power level is over 9,000, which I know mostly from memes and, and from <laughs> Dragon Ball Z playing in the background at the comic shop back in the day when it was shown in the middle of the day at Cartoon Network and we just left Cartoon Network on at the comic shop all day. Uh-huh. Oh man, I, I I can imagine him uh just just for fun doing that whole you know summoning up a giant spirit ball um to throw at his enemies. Yes, yes, really I... really milking it too. Have to have like these little motes of green light just coming towards him, and the aliens he's fighting does not get the reference at all. He's like, <laughs> I don't care. I'm blowing you away. Yep, and building it and building it, and they're like, is he, is he ever gonna? do this haven't we been boy it feels like we've been doing he's been building this one energy weapon for six episodes and not much has happened if he could pause the fight and just come as okay we'll finish this a week later that that would be a proper homage yes (laughs) guys i feel like we ended up answering this question after all it just took so (laughs) good job us um so, so as you said, Kyle has sort of cycled through a bunch of these alternate identities. I mean, again, it, I, I sometimes sit back and it's like, wow, this is a character who has been around for pushing 30 years now, which is just, again, a reminder of how old Dan and I are. And it's like, oh, ye gods. Um, but... Yeah, and the fact that he was Ion, that briefly he was yet another host of Parallax, that mm-hmm. he was the White Lantern. It, it's it's interesting. Does did any of those work half as well as him as the last Green Lantern? Because I don't I don't think so. But I think his or the first time he was Ion worked really well because it was a very interesting examination of 
what happens when someone has so much power. Firstly, they built up to it really well. It was it was a slow burn. His his construct was slowly getting more more real, more fleshed out, and people thought it was just him flexing his imagination. But what was happening is that he was uh, he was gathering a lot of power, and uh, some of the uh, the Green Lantern energy that Hal Jordan had left in in the center of the sun after reigniting it. That power was there, and it was all. Kyle was slowly absorbing all of it, and his. Uh, when he finally got it, he was pretty close to godlike. Um, he he could be in multiple places at once. I remember there was this one planet. He just he got so tired of trying to organize a peace treaty there. He says, "No, no, that's it. Your war is done." People uh, and it, he he literally made it the physics of that planet so that people couldn't be aggressive towards each other. They throw a rock at someone else and it gets blocked. And I, and uh, his girlfriend at the time, Jade uh, Jen, was very concerned about all this. She says, "You can't watch them all the time. What happens when you know when, when you're not watching them every minute?" And he's like, "No, I am literally just watching them every minute. I'm there right now." Uh, and you had Superman being a little miffed about all this, partly because Kyle's <laughs> getting a lot of the admiration and credit that he's built up for years, but he's mostly concerned that when you have this much power over people, you are and, and, and changing their lives in this kind of way. You are no longer protecting their lives. You are living for them is the uh, more or less the words he used. You are living for them. They are, they're no, you're no longer protecting humanity. You're, you're, you're keeping them. And that was when Kyle decided to use that power to um, just basically give it back. He reignited the Green Lantern Corps with those ion powers. And I feel that is the best use of uh, Kyle's potential. He realizes that uh, he gives back. That's what, that's what he will always do with that power. When he became the White Lantern, he was also the character to give back. It was at a time when uh, the the uh, the basis was there's a limited number uh, there, there's a limited reservoir of Green Lantern power that can be drawn upon, and Kyle was the one who reignited that. Um, and hopefully that plot point is forgotten. But it is interesting to have Kyle be the one to give that back again. Kyle's always gonna have the power and then spread that wealth around. But that island thing was the best time they've used his potential. Since then, they, 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 it, it feels like the only interest, the, the only interesting right thing writers want to do is make him the most uniquely powerful character there is. Or as we saw in Omega, uh, Omega Men, make Kyle the earnest character, someone who, and not really do much more with that. There's no. Uh, there's not much legacy with him anymore since that legacy is alive and breathing and taking up, you know, uh, space in the main titles. And there's very little uh, imagination to do with him. It feels like both writers and artists are not really using the full potential cards. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up Omega Men. Uh, specifically because that is actually the one piece of Kyle content that I, I've uh, engaged with. Uh, <laughs> I went through a pretty heavy Tom King phase of five or so mm -hmm. years ago, you know, when we all were. Uh, and, and so, I, you know, I think on first read, I was like, oh, okay, Tom King's doing a war allegory in space, uh, you know, writing what he knows. Uh, and it just happened to have Kyle in it as sort of the, the, the focal sad lad. Uh, you know, how, how did you read that story or how have you read that story as, as a Kyle fan? 
I imagine it's a different uh, experience. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'm actually really interested in asking you, Dan, is since you know you've never read Kyle uh, before, um, is how he appeared to you as a character. What is your what are your impressions of Kyle as a character, not knowing anything else from that story? Um, not. No, I mean, I, you know, my only experience is being reading reading Omega Men and and listening to Matt talk about Kyle. I could see where a reader who had a greater fondness from the character might find it more disappointing because you're not really, you know, seeing Kyle at his best. You know, he's he's basically a prisoner and a tool of of the Omega Men. You know, he's caught in the middle of this, uh, God, I, war, I guess, is the word we'll call it, you know, between this uh, galactic empire that sucks and these, God, I don't, I guess, I guess it depends on your view. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're clearly, up until right at the end, you know, freedom fighters, but they kind of suck too, you know, <laughs> uh, he's, he's, you know, he gets to draw a little bit and that's nice. Um, you know, he's pining for, for Carol Ferris, I think at the time, yeah. which, uh, you know, to me, and again, I don't, I, I, I neither am super familiar with, nor am I interested in passing judgment on his romantic history. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. Carol, that's interesting. Just because obviously I connect her the most with Hal. Um, that was a weird time. Okay. It was a weird time. Okay. Um, you know, but he also is is sort of quick to to play into the the damsel in distress scheme that the the princess is working on, and her boyfriend is watching them on a monitor. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's lots of weird shit in that book. I, I said today, I'm like, <laughs> when I read it the first time, it definitely wasn't my favorite Tom King book. You know, it's it's definitely down there below Mister Miracle and and, and Vision. But reading it a second time, it, it, it kind of squicked me out a little bit more, I think, even so than the first time that I read it. It's a savage book. Yeah, it is. And well, one thing I do like about it is that the art on that book is incredible. They are doing really amazing things with that, with that book. And I remember towards the end, they had some really fun stuff with the coloring and the fact that Kyle's White Lanternness was a combination of all of these spectrum colors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the coloring really had fun with that towards the end. But as as fun as a story as Omega Men was, it, it was all over the place. Yeah, you're right. But um, there's a there's this brutality to it that I can see that uh, that can be really interesting. But I'm not sure how much it is a Kyle Rayner story. Mm-hmm. You could have put any young idealistic Green Lantern in that role or not even a Green Lantern. I, I mean, you could switch out a lot of characters in Focalina and the story would remain more or less unchanged. It, yeah. It, it strikes, struck me, strikes me as also almost more of a, not that this existed at the time, but a black label type title because it's also sort of funny in the continuity of it. I mean, Kyle wasn't appearing anywhere else, so it was the only place where there was Kyle, but it doesn't necessarily... I mean, it's not like we see Kyle walking around with that scar 
on his mm-hmm. neck that he got in that book. Mm-hmm. And the Omega Men don't line up with any existing continuity of those characters either. So, I mean, granted, this was still technically New 52 DCU era. So everything that hadn't been used was theoretically still up for grabs. Although they, I don't believe they line up particularly with when they next showed up in the Andraco Supergirl either. That was much closer to the traditional vision of the Omega Men. But that that's me diving down a DC continuity hole that I care about and very few other people do. Uh, so I, I, will I think it, Omega Man was definitely one of those DC uh, YOU it was. Uh, books, which, you know, were definitely not supposed to be like continuity uh, holes or anything like that. Cause that was the same line they gave us like Batgirl of Burnside, which was very much outside the, you know, it was doing its own thing kind of off to the side. There was that like bizarro all ages yeah. book. Prez, was, uh, Mark Prez. Russell's Prez. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Gotham Academy, which was also I mean, Gotham Academy and Batgirl of Burnside were in really in continuity when they needed to be. Right. When there was, Hey, look, there's an event. Look, it's the Joker. <laughs> hey, guess what? Joker war and Robin war and not Joker war. Uh, end game. End game. And Endgame. yeah, because it's, but they didn't always line up as, as strictly. And there was a Batmite miniseries in there. That was a weird one. Oh, wow. Was there a We Are Robin series? Was that yes, there was. That yes. was. That, that's a book that deserved more than it got. There was mm. a lot and a lot. I mean, I'm glad that a few of those characters popped up in the, uh, the Signal secret files that came out a couple mm-hmm. months ago. But it was like they, they were really introducing they introduced a bunch of interesting characters in there and Joe Chill's random son, uh, which I have all sorts of weird issues with because it's like, <laughs> it was wait, a good series. It was. It, but I, I, I mean, it was a good place for Duke to be when Bruce wasn't around. Mm. But poor Duke, he just nobody knows what to do with Duke Thomas. And yeah. <laughs> it's just like, can, can we give him somewhere where he can shine no pun intended with his signal name that the minute it came out i realized the pun was coming and i had to just cut that one off and pass huh. i think we are open would have made a great video game though yes hmm. yes like a, like a side scrolling beat-em-up type thing Oh, no, more like a bit of an MMORPG. You go in, you design your own Robin, and you just fight crime in Gotham. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, open world, you know, use the the Arkham City kind of engine where you get mm-hmm. the different neighborhoods of Gotham, but a little more mission-based, more in a, a Skyrim sense which is in my head just because my wife is replaying skyrim now so i'm just sitting and reading comics while she adopts more orphans um <laughs> she, she loves the non-violent missions she loves adopting orphans and helping people and not necessarily killing things and she still has to kill things because you know fantasy game but it's a lot of like what are you doing now oh i'm harvesting this and that and the other thing is like okay i'm gonna go and, party and i'm gonna beat up a bunch of thugs I like the, I like uh, this version of Red Dead Redemption in my head where Amber is just picking <laughs> doing all the flower picking and, yes. and, and none of like the train robberies or, or uh, that shooting is people. Absolutely what she would do. She, she loves 
those kind of things there, whether it's there or dragon age or even fallout. It's like, I'm going to collect bottle caps and I'm going to go, <laughs> go from community to community and help them build themselves back up again. Oh, that's delightful. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> she, she's not a big violence person. But, what if green lantern was a game, what kind of game do you think you want it to be? Ooh. Okay. So I, I would, this is interesting. because I actually think the best, there is a good Green Lantern game, and it's Lego Batman 3. <laughs> uh, you know, you're not wrong there. That, that was so much fun being Green Lantern in that, in the, in it that game. It was. And it had such a deep bench, too. I love that. The, I still go back, and I'm still working on 100% completion on Lego DC Supervillains, where you know I, I've got, I recently was able to get Red Robin and Red Hood, and I was like, I don't oh. want to necessarily stop now, but I because <laughs> yeah, sure I've got all the bat characters now. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think a, a Lego style Green Lantern game would be so fun. It would be. Yeah, maybe. Especially if you can just focus on the core, because there are just the core alone, you can bring in as many characters as the uh, DC universe tends to bring in. And Oh, building up constructs with tiny little green bricks or yellow and blue bricks too, if you yeah. want to bring in the, the other core. Yeah, that would be delightful. Yeah. And you, and you get to play with like Nort and Indig and all like the cute little animal uh, lanterns. And- oh, and uh, Rotlop Fan, the, the blind lantern. And what's the, the, the plant dude? Um, oh, what's his name? Was it? No, not. Mm, oh, I cannot remember for the life of me. Oh, yeah. But there's the, the plant guy and. Gallius Zed, the big head with tiny arms and legs. Mm-hmm. And, and, and eventually you get to unlock Moko. That's the bonus <laughs> stage. I was just thinking about that. Um, yeah, no, Moko's just his entire stage. Yeah. <laughs> the great thing about Mogo would be if they play it like Mogo doesn't socialize, or if you don't know the history of the character, you're spending the entire level running around trying to find Mogo. And only at the end do you realize, oh, wait. I found Mogo. Mogo has been with us all along. along. (laughs) (laughs) That would be fantastic. This is either a two-part question Mm -hmm. or a, you know, one part. It's either two questions that could have the same answer or they could have different answers, but there's a distinct possibility they have the same, but I'm going to ask them together. Who is a, who is your favorite Green Lantern who isn't Kyle, and we might have answered this before, but which Green Lantern would be the best partner for Kyle? Hmm. Okay, so the best favorite Green Lantern who isn't Kyle, um, yeah, I think it's John Stewart. Um, yeah, uh, I'm enjoying. Uh, I'm enjoying a lot of new Lanterns now, and uh, Joe Joe Mullen is comes a close third. Um, I'm pronouncing that right, but yeah, John Stewart, and that's largely because of Phil Lamar and uh, the Justice League animated series, brought me a lot of love for that character. And yeah, I think he would be like, yeah, that 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 we've already answered this before. I believe he would be the best uh, Kyle team up. They they get along great. They've got a good friendship, and you have the solidness of John, not just in his constructs, but in his personality, mixed with the more uh, loose. Uh, you know, uh, ultra creative style of Kyle. It it would be it would, they they are a powerful duo. 
I like that. Yeah. Now, sticking with a, you know, characters in Kyle's orbit sort of question, mm-hmm. the Green Lanterns for this expansive set of characters in this expansive legacy don't exactly have the best rogues gallery, especially <laughs> if you remove other light wielders from mm-hmm. that stable of villains. I mean, Kyle did have a few that were Kyle nemeses back in the day. Nero, Effigy, Graven. I mean, Fatality sort of. I mean, she was really after Jon Stewart, but she threw down with Kyle at the beginning. The third guy to call himself Sonar. Legacies (laughs) that nobody cares about. Um, Who was, is Kyle sort of arch nemesis best foe? And do any of these guys have legs beyond what they did and should come back? I think we should bring Nero back as a proper Sinestro Corps member. Um, Because he, he was presented as a really great foil for Kyle in that he was also someone who was just unlimited by his imagination. He really made the most of his constructs and he was drawing on, uh, on powers that eventually gave Kyle the iron power. So, so they get to have like a really big construct versus construct uh, battle um, in his lead up to iron. Um, I don't know if he'd be necessarily be that interesting to bring back though. Um, but yeah, I feel like what you need for Kyle is someone who also has that imagination, but is terrifying. Oh, you know what? Actually, Kyle versus Scarecrow. Both Kyle and Scarecrow are characters that should be in artist's dream. And we're seeing that with Scarecrow right now. We're seeing some amazing artwork. Uh, coming out of the what happens when Scarecrow creates fear, you know, uh, fear delusions. If he can, uh, if the Scarecrow can a uh, get a Sinestro core ring and b enhance that with just you know spraying his fear gas toxin everywhere, and uh, I f- I feel like uh, him versus Kyle would be a very interesting match. I mean, thematically, the two might not have a lot going on personally, but you get the right artist for it. It's going to be incredible. I will say it's not an easy book to track down now because of rights issues. Mm. But if you want a really creepy looking Scarecrow story, Scarecrow was one of the, the villains in the first Batman Judge Dredd crossover. It was Scarecrow and Judge Death, and it's Simon Bisley on art. So it's got all that weird grime and stuff that Bisley just draws so well. And in the end has this hilarious bit where Scarecrow gets hit with his own toxin and his fear is like rainbows and puppies and things. And it's (laughs) hilarious and is Bisley just going to town, which having... Dan and I will someday, we can tell some of these stories, probably best to tell them off mic, about meeting Bisley at conventions and him just being, he's a treat. He is a treat. The biz is the best. (laughs) I look forward to hearing these stories. (laughs) Now, do you have fond recollections or 
remember at all, as I've mentioned this to people in the past, and they've been like, really? That existed? The episode of Superman the Animated Series where Kyle shows up for one episode is the Green Lantern in that series. I have not gotten there yet. Um, I'm like, so growing up, uh, I lived in a really out of the way uh, sort of uh, area like that's on the edge of an already small town. So I didn't have TV uh, so much. Uh, We didn't get TV out there. Uh, except sporadically here and there. So I've seen uh, sporadic episodes of a lot of stuff that I was that I remember fondly from my childhood, but only got to really see completely as an adult. And I've managed to catch up on all of Justice League. And I remember there's a very small two-second Calorino cameo there, but um, I'm slowly making my way through Superman. I keep just getting distracted by all the new stuff that shows up. Because yeah, there's a lot to keep track of when you're watching TV right now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm currently moving to Doom Patrol just to uh, catch up before season three comes out. But yeah, no, I have not seen that. I have read about that episode because I was excited. I'm like, oh my god, they, they, the, the Green Lantern they introduced is Kyle Rayner. That's that's fun, and and they never do anything with it. But John John Stewart is a is a is a very was a was a great character to go with uh, in the Justice League series. Absolutely. Um. Matt, I think you had this question here at one point, but uh, I, I was kind of curious. Uh, you had a little list going of, of some of <laughs> Kyle's, uh, you know, romantic partners. In numerous. Uh, <laughs> he, he's he's mm. a, not quite as bad as Hal Jordan, but I mean, Alex, you know, who is unfortunate. We, we, we yeah. just, that, that's a whole thing. For yeah. those out there who don't know, the origin of the term fridging uh, and Women Refrigerators does come from a Kyle Rayner story where it was Kyle's first girlfriend, Alex, who was the titular woman in a refrigerator. Uh, but then Donna Troy and Jade and Saronic Natu and uh, Carol Ferris. Yeah, Carol Ferris. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, who of them for you feels like I mean, neither Dan or I are really big, you know, we're not shippers. But it's, I was, again, recently talking to this in a project that will be named later. Uh, for, for me, what makes a ship work is what it brings out in the other character, that two characters who bring out the best in each other from a plot standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, Lois Lane grounds Clark in his humanity, and Clark gives Lois, you know, that idealism that if she doesn't have, she becomes Deb Donovan from Detective Comics, who just drinks a lot and is cynical. Or Bruce and Selena. You know, Selena makes gets helps Bruce get in touch with his emotions a little bit as much as he can, and gives and he gives her that sense of heroism. Is there one of those characters that works best as Kyle's, you know, romantic partner for you? Okay, so two things. First, you bring up the fridging, um, and I have you guys read the refrigerator monologues? No, no. It is this delightful book of short stories um, of these women in this place called Dead Town, and they are all the girlfriends and wives or romantic interests uh, of these superheroes, and they are all dead now, and they and they just gather once a week to talk about how annoyed they are that they were just. Um, father for their uh, male character stories and they have these 
these are heartbreaking, beautifully written uh, short stories um, that are, uh, because of copyright issues, they're riffs of Jean Grey and Harley Quinn. And the final story is, of course, the story of Alexandra DeWitt, or at least the, a, a modified version of it, because, mm-hmm. you know, copyright, they can't go to it completely. But it's beautifully told stories that's absolutely worth a read. Um, that that's going into the Amazon cart right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was one of those books where I, I started reading the e version, and then about ten pages in, I was like, "Nope, I absolutely need a physical copy of this." I stopped the book to order a physical copy, and then went back to reading. Um, but yeah, the I, I believe my answer for that is Alexander Dewitt, which is what makes her death such a big tragedy. See, she would have been such a great uh ship for 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 kyle um i remember when she came back oh well so a version of her came back in the circle of fire story um he basically create his subconscious creates uh, a version of her where he where she introduces herself as an alternate version uh of green lantern from an alternate dimension where kyle died instead of her and yeah uh what i yeah what i liked about her is that she she encouraged him. She she really was the flame to his potential, that spark of potential she had. She 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 was the the person who could help fan it into a flame, and she had her own. There was a a a, a, a wit about her, just a, a fun thing. She would not let his. She would help him fly, but she would not let his head swell up too big. She would keep. She would help him fly, but she would keep him grounded, which I believe would would have been. I mean, he's had a lot of great relation, great written relationships over the years, and some not so well written. I'm thinking of Carol Ferris in particular. Um, but yeah, I believe that relationship might have been his best, which is why it's her death's always going to be like just this huge tragedy. Yeah. Dan, if you become curious about reading some more Kyle, A Circle of Fire, which Armand just mentioned, uh, it's early Brian Vaughn, like pre, oh. pre any of his big name books, Brian mm-hmm. Vaughn. It was, an, it was a fifth week event and Vaughn wrote the bookends and I think one or two of the specials in between. But it was a very cool little, you know, fifth week event when DC did fifth week events instead of just putting out a whole bunch of annuals. Which, you know, there's worse ways to handle that fifth week, I suppose. Um. <laughs> it's a great story. And it's a good showcase of a bunch of other DC characters that might not all, all, you know, always get the spotlight. We had the Firestorm. We had the Adam. We had uh, Power Girl. Um, Adam Strange, I believe we had also. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. There was definitely an Adam Strange one in there. Yeah, and it's it was just a fun showcase of these characters. We have uh, this big evil character called Oblivion coming in. And uh, these five Green Lanterns from different eras of time uh, show up to uh, uh, and team up with various D- DC characters to find a way to defeat Oblivion. And uh, it's a very strong Kyle Rayner story as well. One of them was a descent. It was a one of them was a, a West Rayner or Rayner West, right? Like the, they they were just the line of the Flashes and the Rayners together. I thought that was that was a fun little moment in there yeah you know this will never be canon but wally west also great ship for cal yeah 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 they see that would, yeah the, i i you know the only reason I, I would be against that is because linda is wally's true love she is his lightning rod 
You know what? You you got me there. Yeah, yeah. No, Kyle, Kyle could be just you know like the uh, like the consensual third. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, hey, if if Scott and Gene Logan can make it work, <laughs> anyone can. <laughs> huh. So, uh, as we mentioned at the very t- uh, top uh, when we introduced you, you are covering a lot of books for, for Comics XF. Uh, what is your favorite book uh, that you're covering or just that you're reading right now? Um, I would say my favorite right now would have to be The Many Deaths of Layla Starr. Mm. Um, for those who haven't been reading it, it is a book about... Uh, it. it it's a it's a simplified take on Hindu mythology, and Death basically is fired from her job because uh, a child has been born that will one day invent immortality, making her job obsolete. Um, so with a little trickery, she manages to uh, get a retirement package down as a mortal on Earth, and she is trying to uh, basically stop this child from uh, creating immortality. And then along the way, it's this beautifully told story about what death means and what life is in the face of that. And let's see, at this time, well, by the time this, this uh, uh, episode goes out, I mentioned the final issue will have, uh, will have been released everywhere. So mm-hmm. you can read the whole thing in one go now. Uh, and it's beautifully drawn, beautifully told. And uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's what I'm enjoying right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, you and uh, Andrea Ayer's uh, take on the final issue uh, when that yeah. comes. What, uh, what else are you reading right now? Uh, what else am I reading right now? Uh, I'm going through, well, it's, I'm not sure how much it comes as reading, but there is this, uh, I'm replaying through one of my favorite games uh, where the water tastes like wine. It was a small uh, indie game um, that managed to get Sting to voice one of the main characters. Um, it is basically, uh, it's, he doesn't get to do all that much, but it's, <laughs> it's fun that they got him. Amazing soundtrack. And the, the game is fairly simple. You wander across the United States uh, in the era of the depression, gathering stories uh, and then sharing them and helping them grow. Sometimes you'll gather a story and you'll tell it to a character. And then later on, as you walk, that story will come back to you. Only it's been changed in the telling. Hmm. And yeah, it's, it's a beautiful game. And um, I'm sad it didn't get more attention than it, than it should have. And it is, hands down, just one of my favorite games ever. Just, just literally just collecting stories and giving them out and giving them back and learning other people's stories. is oh, It's beautifully done. And it's the first time I ever felt like America had a culture and it's i i've grown up and it it, 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 in a lot of ways it feels like american culture can be sort of bland and commercial but reading to those stories and getting them here they're narrated i I forget who the voice actor is but each story is narrated by this guy with this gruff old western voice it's like you know you come to this town and it's a dry day it's beautifully done i obviously can't do it justice but Oh, yeah, uh, if uh, listeners, you can get in on this game, do. If you can go on YouTube and just listen to the soundtrack, also do, because it's one of the better soundtracks games. So, yeah, I've been going through that. Uh, well, uh, Armand, uh, this has been a fantastic chat. It's been uh, over an hour. Uh, as final question, as we're wrapping up, how can people follow you online, keep up with everything that you're writing uh, and, and all that? Um, well, I'm pretty much just in one place online. Um, I'm at Arman Babu on Twitter, A-R-M-A-A-N-B-A-B-U. 
Uh, and yeah, I will pretty much be retweeting uh, all of I'm tweeting all of my articles and uh, retweeting everyone else's because there's a there's a lot of fun stuff out there. All right, Armand, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was a, a, a lot of fun. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at comicsxf.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at comicsxf.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQcomics where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shout-outs on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter, at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, Batman has a plan for everything. He even has a plan for you, my child. WMQA!